Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS, and today we're talking about virtual scientific congresses. Joining us today are Tim Michalishvili, CEO and co-founder of Amadea Pharma, and Riaz Abbas, Learning and Performance Lead, JPAC Medical Amgen. Views expressed are those of the presenters and do not reflect endorsement by the organizations. So congresses have traditionally been an important opportunity for medical affairs to present data while connecting with scientific leaders. And when we went virtual during the pandemic, there were certainly some challenges and maybe some things we lost. But Tim, are there also some opportunities that we gained? Yes, Garth. You know, I definitely am a proponent of virtual conferences and uh, planned appropriately. Uh, and, bec- and also uh, just as a format of uh, productivity, education and engagement, because I think that those, those are the reasons why we attend conferences. Uh, and by really changing the format to the virtual uh, conference, uh, we are able to actually amplify our messages. Uh, we are able to increase our ultimate number of attendees um, over time and also uh, you know, recreate these conversations over a longer period of time in this asynchronous learning and teaching type of uh, you know, uh, style. And uh, when we think about virtual conferences, they're really a series of virtual meetings packed together in a short period of time. Uh, so similarly to our previous podcast, for example, or uh, speaking to Riaz, um, with whom we work together in the external educational uh, working group here at MAPS, we have never met each other in person, but we've worked a lot you know, virtually and uh, I feel like I, I know Riaz. I feel like I know you, Garth. And so uh, I think our, the key really to unlocking those opportunities how, is recreating the conversations, those in-person conversations only in a, uh, in a virtual digital setting. Um, and you know, creating more opportunities for on-demand materials that are readily available for download. Uh, easier access to data, analytics that are uh, that are, are reported also very quickly in a timely way, uh, live streaming types of uh, events and sessions, and also hands-on virtual opportunities that have now demonstrated that they translate into real-world benefit for many physicians and healthcare professionals. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so I, th- I think we can distribute our share of voice and participation even more evenly also uh, for those people who are not likely to, to speak up in an in-person meetings. Now they have an opportunity to have their voices heard. And, you know, I, I certainly reached out and was able to network with more people outside of my territory in New York than I would have otherwise, thanks to the virtual all right. So you don't have to be in the same place. You don't have to right. be necessarily even in the same time with asynchronous. We can have a larger attendance. Uh, Riaz, is that the end of the story? I'm afraid not. I, oh, no. <laughs> but whilst I, well, not completely with Tim, I, I, I agree uh, in essence that we can definitely, uh, virtual definitely have a role to play. And I, I'll be honest, I think there are, I'm not sure of other therapy areas, but in HIV, 
for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Even prior to COVID, uh, Croy, an annual congress that happens usually in the US, which is basically considered one of the most important scientific meetings and has a, has a large cap on attendance. You have to, you don't just register, you have to apply for registration. The committee has to approve your registration. So you have to be active in publishing, researching, and it becomes more of a challenge for um, people coming from the industry. So in the past, I've actually attended Croy uh, in a virtual setting whilst it's been happening live. This is pre-COVID. And I actually found the learning part really useful. Mm-hmm. Where I really struggled was the networking part to get context behind the data. To, you know, and we all know that text without context is pretext. And I, I'm a strong believer in that. So whilst I agree uh, wholeheartedly with Tim about virtual offensive opportunity, I just think that we need to be more smart, really clear, gain, have this opportunity to look at the data from the last two years, because I also believe we are not going to go back to completely in-person meetings only. I think we'll go, we'll proceed and have a virtual, uh, you know, aspect to Congresses, education, etc. But I think that virtual is just, has a huge opportunity, but also of a lot of challenge. And we all know the concept of Zoom fatigue, screen fatigue. So I just think that we need a, a more of a revolutionary mindset rather than just plug and play uh, a Congress. So that's where I would say, um, Garth and Tim, that there are certain limitations that we have to be aware of. Um, is, it a, is it a balance? Is it a teeter-totter of reach and resonance? You know, we hear about these things all the time. So virtual Congresses, they, they have reach. A lot of people can go. But is it at the expense of, of resonance? Tim, what do you think about that? Um, it can be, you know, it probably can be uh, bec- because of the uh, many of the reasons that Garth, uh, that Riaz just mentioned, right? Uh, the resonance in terms or the context of is it really those thought leaders that are uh, tuning in? How long are they tuning in for the virtual conferences? Can they really fit that into their schedule, right? You know, packing in these meetings, these virtual meetings, you know, back to back in the same way as you would uh, an in-person conference is no longer practical for those reasons that I think Riaz mentioned, you know, that, you know, our attention span or the focus that we have, it gets easily gets lost, you know, when you're asked to be in front of your screen back to back. So Mm -hmm. I think planning, planning ahead uh, you know, is, is a key, uh, I think, key factor of success in a virtual conference where I, you know, I really critically looked at, you know, a lot of the virtual conferences that I attended. And I attended both as a presenter, also on the sponsor side as well, and worked closely with the organizers as well over the last two years. Um, and I saw a much greater variability of success, of, of, of access to sessions, uh, of moderation. You know, uh, we, I think one of the big gaps uh, in the virtual format is that a lot of the organizers sometimes um, think of it as a broadcast rather than a conversation. So if you're able to differentiate a, you know, a, a virtual conference, by having more conversations, more opportunities to appeal to personal interests, to uh, functional or work-related or conference-related interests as well. And if you can, if you're able to separate the, those over time more asynchronously, uh, 
uh, I think you stand a chance of greater engagement in that in that uh, case. Uh, live versus pre-recorded, you know, on demand. You know, I've seen data from Ashfield Health um, that was distributed across various different uh, specialties, oncologists, uh, and they, you know, and, and all globally as well from all over the world. And they it seemed like that personal touch was missing, right? And I think uh, yeah. one of the reasons is is for for that, you know, that broadcast and a lot of the pre-recorded uh you know presentations that you you know you're you're able to see at these virtual conferences where the presenters uh, data is you know is, is heard by everyone and then they're there for the q a granted you have many ways to interact uh you know your notes you can take sp uh, snapshots of data but it's just not the same quality of engagement or a conversation it still becomes a um a, a broadcast somewhat you know, uh, posters as well. You know, I presented a poster, uh, for example, at one of the virtual conferences, but that poster was very difficult to access for people. And I did, a, you know, I was very deliberate about promoting it beforehand, uh, but I never received the metrics also until like months down the road as well, right? Um, from the exhibitor standpoint, if you'd look at the sponsor's perspective, right? We, you know, you, we have exhibitor booths and you're able to have these avatars and, you know, there's various different, very creative virtual conference platforms. They, they allow you to actually visualize yourself sitting with others at a table. You know, and, and, you know, I was able to interact with more people than I would otherwise. Uh, how, however, you know, it's not just, uh, it's not just those conversations, but it's really being able to, uh, you know, to have, to, to, to find, act to, to, uh, to have access to those conversations in order to have an on-demand meeting immediately with whoever you want, and then find that attendee list or the posters, all right, not just as a PDF, but the visualization, also the visualization was variable. I found I found that a lot of the scientific conferences it was difficult to see the posters actually or the presentations themselves. You had to like really squint your eyes and really <laughs> focus uh, as well. Uh, so uh, I think the scheduling the that broadcast versus conversation I think is a is a big key. And you know I think we should really aim for more live interactions, which becomes difficult maybe in time zones, right? If you have a speaker in Australia or in California, you have an early morning meeting, you may have to do encore meetings. Why not experiment with just having a presentation and then them being available for just Q&A, you know? Well, and they're, yeah, so. Well, I was going to say, I'm taking away a lot of things that I think MAPS can do with their webinars as well. So this goes beyond just Congresses. You know, it's presenting information virtually. And that, mm -hmm. of course, is what Congress is do and provide the opportunity for interaction you know medical affairs professionals the reality is that we're going to have to be engaging in virtual congresses and you know there is a lot of i don't want to say danger but challenges or things that can go wrong you know and you talk about this in terms of variability tim we've seen good stuff and we've seen yeah. bad stuff so riaz what can we do to get the good stuff yeah, that's a that's a million dollar question, right? So I would refer uh, all our listeners to there's a really nice publication 
in February this year from Heather Gray um, and her colleagues. And I know it's an Australian perspective, but I don't think it's it's going to be much different to small, large congresses virtually. And they published an MDPI, an article really around it as to what's been in the last two years, scientific congresses in oncology particularly. There's a huge, not just interest, but that's where groundbreaking data really informs and changes treatment paradigms and clinical practice. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much highlight some of the challenges we've been discussing uh, just now. Congresses have been a platform not just to share latest information, but also for colleagues um, and experts to interact and uh, have that interactivity. And basically what they found overall is that while they find the over time between 2020 and 2021, an increasing participation and particularly a, a far diverse participation because they could compare data from prior congresses which were in person in person meetings what they really found is that when they dig deep and looked at uh, feedback qualitative feedback from participants uh, what they found is that most participants who were actually completely new I think they couldn't attend live meetings for various reasons logistics cost etc the 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 experience was actually quite positive however those which were I would say 80 percent participant they'd done both in person and virtual, they basically said there was a huge value loss because of, you know, an inability to be able to informally interact with peers, with experts, with colleagues. Um, uh, so I think where we can maximize is we yeah. look, and I don't have the answer, I'm afraid, but I think what that's what they propose that they, we should look at and evaluate based on information we've gathered over the last two years, what has been good, what can be improved, what can lead to, uh, you know, removing that, um, or perhaps reducing that efficiency gain and addressing those issues and challenges. Um, you know, we've got to try and, and, and see how we can actually actually do that. You know, you walk through the posters at ASCO and you can tell who has something interesting because the little corridor is packed and there's a whole bunch of people standing there trying to interact with the I don't know, PI. Actually, it's usually not, they usually put the grad students out there, right? But, or the postdocs out there to, to, to chat about the posters. But um, is that what we're missing? Is, is the opportunity to stand around a poster and chat with the researchers? You know, we get the poster, we can get that virtually. Tim, is it this personal, informal interaction? Oh, Riaz is raising his hand. I see you want to say something. Go, Riaz. Yeah, I, I do, because one of the things that we find is not maybe in the beginning, but later on, I completely agree. It's just our, that's how, how humans work. You yeah, go to a restaurant, yeah. you look outside and from outside, there's no one there. It may be some of the best food out there, but yeah. if there's no one there, nobody walks in. And guess what? The moment you walk in and suddenly you're sitting by the window, you see more people coming in. That's our tendency. So I would actually say, uh, Garth, that what we've realized is social listening is really helping us, in fact. So ah. having your posters and then the author's, sharing or the Congress sharing using their own Twitter handle or other social media platforms is actually generating a lot of interest. I would actually say the sheer volume of questions, comments coming in now compared to in person, I think the volume, I don't, uh, you know, I, I would say the volume is huge. There is a lot more coming in. There is a lot more interactivity happening. So definitely we're getting better there. I don't think that's the only challenge. I think the challenge is more about Yes, you might get that, that one or few comments based on your questions, but you don't really get people's opinions in a small group setting. That's what I've been hearing from experts that I know uh, here, uh, both here in, and in the UK. 
Interesting. So Tim, yeah. oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, those, those personal individualized kinds of conversations and uh, interactions need to be prioritized more probably in a virtual setting than, than the educational ones, right? Uh, where you're just, uh, you know, dumping some data on a lot of attendees who may, you know, listen to them. And so, uh, you know, there were conferences where you had one particular networking type of session, right? Personal networking on, or a theme, theme around, let's say beer tasting, okay? That beer tasting may not be relevant to everyone, right? And I, I saw some great virtual conferences where, you know, physicians were up, and talking until the wee hours of, of night. And I've, I saw other ones that had many different types of classes on fitness, on wellness, on, uh, you know, offered many choices for people to interact on a personal level. And some, some of the gaps, what, what you both mentioned regarding the posters, that was a gap, I thought, you know, in terms of early career, early career attend attendees who are trying to really network with their mentors, uh, who are want to, you know, consider different research opportunities or career development opportunities that was missing in, in many of the virtual conferences, but it's not, but we're, you know, the capabilities are there beyond avatars alone for us to make those conversations more continuous. It's just how we plan those, those days. Maybe we don't have to cram everything into three days. Maybe it can be more, more synchronous one week or 10 days, but shorter days, mm -hmm. but give people time to, um, also not only attend, but also moderate as well, where in sessions where you have a moderator and they don't have to be an expert subject expert. I saw much more interaction, for example, personally, um, you know, and, you know, someone, so someone like you, Garth, right. Or right. Who keeps our conversations going on the elevate podcast. That's, that was a big game game changer. I thought in terms of the interaction level. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny when you had, <laughs> when people were paying for hotels, you had to have long days, but now that uh, maybe they're not, you can have much shorter days and eat these in mm -hmm. bite-sized chunks. But it's also interesting that there remains such a human component of, of research and data dissemination. You know, why can't you just dump the data on people and there you go? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that, that you still need this interactive human component. I, I'm taking this into the weeds here, but you know, mm -hmm. is that really, if we were gonna put a finger on what still needs to be done, what still needs to be solved with virtual Congresses, is it, is it the human component? Riaz, what do you think? So if you look at the, the data or uh, how adults learn, adult learning principles, the three key ways we come overcome the forgetting curve or retain information. Number one is really testing our own self-knowledge. We can do that uh, asynchronously. But the other one is peer-to-peer -peer learning, which is huge. So I think I completely agree. I don't think Congresses are purely just as a data dissemination platform. I think they're much bigger than that. Because if they're just data dissemination, you could do that to your point, just do a data dump, con con conduct a webcast, publish your data, uh, I think Congress is a more of a platform where they initiate and then disseminate information by peer-to-peer -peer learning and enabling that. I think that's what's missing. I'm not saying we can't do that virtually. I just think it's a little bit trickier and we have to learn from what's worked in the last two years and then continue on that learning and making it better from a peer-to-peer -peer learning perspective in a virtual setting. Tim, can we do it? Can we have peer-to-peer -peer virtually? Uh, I think so. I've lived through it. 
you know, I've uh, seen communities being developed. And I think we can take some examples from the med tech, from the tech community, where they were more successful than the pharma or the scientific community, if you will, in terms of creating branded featured communities. Because I think we can take better advantage, you know, more advantage of, of the virtual digital format and just extending those conversations uh, and starting them earlier, you know, maybe months before the meeting, uh, and, and but then continuing them on afterwards. Uh, and also, you know, the cost is something we didn't talk about, but that was some somewhat of a limiting factor as well in some of the research that I've seen, right? You know, how do you, what's the most appropriate cost in order to ensure three things really, right? The access, yeah. uh, the access for everyone, right? To, to the information, uh, to the exhibitor booths, which weren't, which I think a lot of sponsors felt like they lost a lot of money into the, that, that investment. But I think you need to plan ahead in order to, accordingly as a sponsor, as an attendee as well, and to treat that conference as an opportunity to actually speak to the sponsor, not just get a data, new data information, but also uh, take, you know, that dedicated time and visit what, what that new information is from, let's say, an AstraZeneca or, you know, CSL bearing. You know, so, uh, the format, right, and is the other one, right, the, have more diverse formats of information uh, and, and really the quality. Make sure to uh, to have, if, if you, you know, make sure to offer those metrics closer and, and, and more and different, different types of metrics on not just the attendees, but be changes in behavior, because you have that ability because, you know, you have all that. And I don't think the organizers did that uh, as well as, uh, as, as well as we've seen, let's say in an in-person meeting where you have a booth and you have those scanners, you're able to follow up with those who attend, attend. Uh, I don't think that was replicated as well, you know, uh, as consistently. So, yes, what do you so think? format access oh, and quality. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yep. yeah I, I would say one of the ways to address Garth is um, even in person, what I've, what I've, for example, learned is major congresses I'll go to, we would conduct like a debrief with experts or peers in a small group setting, like a fishbowl meeting or a round table and say, okay, what on the last day of the meeting? And then we'll take those learnings with us. So we enabled that peer-to-peer -peer learning in a small setting. I think we can probably definitely do that and be the catalyst from an industry perspective to help us do that. So to Tim's point, rather than having a big flashy boots, we should be really investing and putting our money into those kind of things where, yes, you have had, for example, ESCO virtually, let's have a round table with some peers, and then you can do that in different settings. So you could do on a national level, then you go on a regional level in a virtual setting. So you're enabling, disseminating the latest information based on the audience in a very nice, simple way. All right, well, I know the next conversation I wanna have, and that is about hybrid conferences. And is that a way to have our cake and eat it too? Or is that just a, a further stratification for the haves and have nots who can attend in person or anyway, that's the next one. So thank you, Tim and Riaz for joining thank us. You. MAPS members, I hope you will subscribe to the Elevate podcast and uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you.